0: Greetings in the name of Christ tonight. How are you doing on Colossians chapter 3? Some of you already know it, Uh, so let's turn to Colossians 3 again and we're going to read it and I'm going to urge you to look away from it and look up this way if you can and let's all stand and let's try to do that together. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. Everyone ready? Here we go. If you can look away from your Bible, that's good. If not, that's fine too. Everyone ready? If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Thank you. God bless you. you may be seated. I am. Uh, I I just appreciate these verses so much. The one that really speaks to me tonight is verse 2. That word set means to fix your affection. That means to latch on to it and keep that as your focal point, where you look at it and you keep your eye on it and you keep moving toward that goal. That's, I think, the concept that he's trying to convey. Set your affection, your singular affection, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And that's important for us to understand. So I would ask you today, how did you do? I mean, if you thought about these verses at all, how did you do? Did you deliberately discipline your mind, your thoughts, to fix your affection on things above, not on things on the earth? I know, you're busy you have other things to do, and, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm suggesting that perhaps we need to be more mindful of the fact that where we keep our focus is going to affect our destination, and I think that's important for us to remember. Take your Bibles for tonight and turn with me to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21 is where I want to begin reading. I'll read verses 21 through 24. And before I begin, I want you to notice something. It starts out by saying in verse 21 that ye have heard. Okay? You go to verse 27, it says the same thing. Ye have heard. And you go to verse 33, and it says again, ye have heard that it hath been said. And each time when it makes a statement like that, and you go over to 38, it says the same thing. Ye have heard that it hath been said. You go to verse 43 again. Ye have heard that it hath been said. What Jesus is doing, this is not original with me. I've found it someplace and it blesses my heart. But what Jesus was doing was referencing the law, the practice that, that was tied to the law. And then what he did was raise the standard to include the heart motive of the sin. So he included the motive with the problem to identify that the heart was the true issue. And you're going to have to get that inside fixed before you can fix the problem that he's addressing. Tonight, the message I've titled it, Anger, Pride, and Reconciliation. I want to read verses 21 through 24, where it says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekah, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fools shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. I want to zero in on the concept of anger and pride and reconciliation. Someone has said that people who fly into a rage always make a bad landing. That's often true. Someone else has said that a believer at war with his brother cannot be at peace with his father. I think that's right. It is important that we understand what Jesus is referencing here. There is a significant relationship between anger that is oftentimes motivated by pride, and if there is a failure, there has to be reconciliation if peace is going to be made. And if you're going to have peace with God, you're going to have to reconcile as well. I would say that pride is the engine that powers anger, and I would say that humility is the engine that drives reconciliation. You must humble yourself to admit that what you did was not appropriate. Again, what is anger? Well, anger certainly is an emotion. It's an emotion of instant displeasure. It arises from the feeling of injury that's done or intended. Whether it was intentional or not, you may not know. But anger is that strong feeling of displeasure and and belligerence. It, it, it sometimes is a very, very difficult thing, and it's aroused by a real or a supposed wrong. Sometimes you draw a conclusion, you can become angry, and other people may not even find it out. But then there are other times when it truly is found out, and because of your actions, you have to eventually think about, now, am I going to make that right, or am I going to ignore it? So it's an important issue, I think. Now, someone has said that spiritual anger is the spur to virtue. I'm not sure who to credit that to, and I'm not quite sure exactly if I understand what's meant by that always, but it's important for us to think about it. Now, we all, um, well, let me back up a little bit. Some of us are pretty low-key. It doesn't nothing seems to shake some people they're just pretty low-key you can't you can't really get them too shook Um, I kind of wonder how that would be for sure (laughs) Uh, maybe you do too but there's a few people like that now take your Bibles and let's go to another passage in Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20 I want to I want to start reading there. Now, remember that this passage of Scripture is addressed in the context of a list of things that either need to be told to us that we ought to put these things on or put them away, put them off. All right, let's read. We're looking at Ephesians 4.20. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. And the word conversation there would refer to conduct, not just your words. It would include words. But it's referring to your, con- your conduct, your behavior that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We're harming ourselves if we don't, because we're members one of another. Verse 26, Be ye angry, and sin not. Now I'm willing to suggest that that is not a command to go ahead and be angry. The reason I would suggest that is because the second to the last verse in this chapter says let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be what? Put on or put away? It says put away from you with all malice. There's other translations that say something like this in verse 26 In your anger, be careful that you do not sin. I think that's what it's saying. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, there it's specifically talking about your words but that which is good to the use of edifying. And the word edify is a a word that means to build. To build. Now, if you're going to tear down a building, you address that process differently than you do when it's time to build a building. You go at it much different. It doesn't matter what happens when you're tearing it down. You don't really worry about it because the goal is to destroy. It. But we're told that we're supposed to build, we're supposed to help and build each other. Our words, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, that it will communicate a building up, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And remember learning this verse when you were a small child? I do. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Again, I would repeat anger, if it is there, must be short lived. If we're to maintain the standard of no sin, not sin, then anger has to be handled very, very carefully. Anger, whether it's against an animal or an object or a person, it's still anger. doesn't matter how you slice it. Now, for instance, there is an emotion that drives you that when something bad happens... It immediately pumps in your adrenaline and away you run. You get out of the way. Well, if you start spouting what feels like you want to vent words, and oftentimes anger is exposed in words, uh, that strong feeling of displeasure becomes belligerent and it's aroused. And it's hard to shut it down. Now, if it's generated by the old man that is, quote, corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, like we just read, unquote, and if the man is not controlled by the Holy Spirit, the anger is going to come out of control in a hurry. Thus, the teaching to put it away, I think. So, it does say, uh, be careful about your anger. Another thing that I want to point out, lest I don't get it said tonight, because my notes are, I have a lot of notes. (laughs) But um, let not the sun go down upon your, notice what it says, upon your wrath. I think you could probably, in general terms, keep the term anger and wrath on the same level. However, I think there may be a progression When there's an act of anger, it can produce wrath. And if it's left to broil, it will develop worse. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. I think what that means is, don't go to sleep with an angry heart. Don't do it. If there's something that you, in other words, stay current. So, if there's a violation that you've done, and oftentimes what happens is, as soon as you said it, you immediately feel condemned. Uh, can anybody identify with that? Please don't raise your hands. But it's true. You said it because you felt it. It something happened to lit your fire, and you said it, and as soon as you said it, you wished you could take it back, but it was too late. I think we can all identify with that. Now, I want to go to a passage of scripture that I think um, illustrates what we're talking about. Take your Bibles and start finding 2 Chronicles 26. While you're turning to that, someone has said that pride and anger are twin sisters. Often pride lifts us to believe that we're better than we really are. And then when we're shown to be less than we think we really are, we become angry. And we lash out. I think that probably every human being struggles with the issue of anger. But when those of us who name the name of Christ... When we take into ourselves that which satisfies, like we talked about last night, the the fountain of living water that's bubbling up within, it besmirches our testimony if we do not take care of those incidents immediately when the Holy Spirit prompts us. I think it's important to think about that. Pride and anger build a house full of bitterness. A man's pride shall bring him low, Proverbs says. I want you to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And I want you to look at especially what Uzziah did. It says in verse 1, "...and all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and two years." That means he was 62 years old. I'm not sure exactly at what point they're referring to there in his life. But anyway, his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah did. Notice in verse 5 it says, He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. That impresses me. We go down through the next few verses and we see what happens later. Let's take a look. And I'm not going to read all this, but I have listed all of his accomplishments. And you follow along from verse 6 and following. What did Uzziah accomplish? Well, first of all, Uzziah, the word, the name means my strength is Jehovah or Yah, Yahweh. My strength is Jehovah. Yahweh. Okay? Now follow along. Take a look. It says he went forth and he warred against the Philistines. He broke down the wall in Gath and the wall of Jabnah and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians in Jerbel, in and the Mehunims. The Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah. In other words, they were subject to him. They had to pay some sort of a debt. And it says that his name spread abroad even to the entering in of Egypt. Everybody knew and heard about Uzziah. Did you hear about Uzziah? No. What did he do now? I tell you, that guy is powerful. He's a good king the way it looks to me. Can't you just imagine the coffee shop talk? He strengthened himself exceedingly, it says. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate. This was days of accomplishment, prosperity. At the valley gate and at the turning of the wall, and he fortified them. He built towers in the desert. I'm assuming that was for the purpose of protection. Climb up on the tower. You can see better. Watch when an enemy approaches. Be ready to blow the trumpet so you can protect our city. It says that he digged many wells. Water. They needed water. He had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains. Uh, He had good farmers, husbandmen. He had vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, and he loved husbandry. He saw the value of agriculture. Some of you can identify with that. He had a host of fighting men. There was a total, if you do the math, it's 307,500. That's a big army. Yeah. Yeah. Uzziah prepared for them throughout all the host. They all had shields and spears and helmets and habergians, which really is armor, a breast armor and a neck armor, protection. He had the latest technology. It says that he he developed bows and, and also he developed slings that could hurl a stone. It was the top of the line. He made... In Jerusalem, engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And I think probably the enemy had come around and they'd said, We have no chance against this king and against this city. He's got the latest and the greatest, and our arrows aren't a match for him. His name spread far abroad. That's what it says. His name spread far abroad. In chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 26, verse 15. Then it goes on to say, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Now, the proud hate pride in others. They can't see it in themselves, but they hate it in other people. Because they see that as competition. Pride and grace from God can never dwell in the same heart at the same time. No, it's an awful thing to think about. The less power a man has sometimes, the more he likes to use it, someone has said. And I think that's true. But this was a man that had a lot of power. He had accomplished a lot of things. It says he became strong. He was marvelously helped. And I think what was happening is something was going on in his mind. Maybe he started forgetting exactly who it was that blessed him. And he became strong. Many times it's too easy to become more interested in power than it is in purity. And setting my affection on things above. Instead I like to rehearse in my own mind the things that made me great. That's the human tendency. He was more interested in who he was. He had a great name. Yes. But there's a problem. Verse 16 says, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. Yes, he he became proud of himself. Hudson Taylor was asked one time if he was ever tempted to be proud. And Hudson said, About what? What are you talking about? And they said, Well, about all the things that you've done. And Hudson replied, he said, and I quote, I never knew I did anything. God did it. That's the right attitude. And I think that Uzziah was missing that attitude. I think he was. There's a danger of becoming impressed with ourselves. Isn't it interesting how it's obvious to everyone else, but not me? There's a little boy one time came to his father. He said, I, I'm as tall as Goliath. He's a little boy, about so tall. father said well how could that be well he said I measured myself with my own ruler yeah we appear pretty big sometimes when we start measuring ourselves with our own standard don't we we say well Lord I did this and I did this and I've been to church and I give this much last week in the offering and who is that other brother who does he think he is to tell me how I ought to behave behaving? He didn't even put it. He wasn't even in church last Sunday. Yeah. Look at me. Pride ignores others. It exalts me. The next thing I see, first of all, he became strong. Second of all, he became proud, I think. His heart was lifted up to his own destruction. That's what the scripture says. Next thing is, he became belligerent. A belligerent man is a difficult man. There's not much you can talk about with a belligerent person. you'd like to. I think Uzziah was intoxicated by his own honor and his own greatness. Now, you look in this verse, in verse 16, it says, And he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense to the altar of incense, And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him 81 priests of the Lord that were valiant, fourscore. See, there was fourscore plus Azariah. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said to him, It appertaineth not unto thee. This is not your business, Uzziah. You may be the king. You may have conquered all of our enemies, but it's not your business to be doing this. You're not to be offering incense in here. You need to leave. Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant. They withstood Uzziah and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. You're out of your field. You have no business in here, Uzziah. Go out of the sanctuary. For thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. I don't know if I think, I think maybe, I don't know, I have a pretty good imagination. And I think probably these priests all were kind of shaken a little bit. Here's this powerful king and he comes in. And they don't know what in the world to do. Oh, what should we do? He just went barging right in there. He's the king. He's the king. What should I do? They said, we've got to stop him. God will judge him. God could even kill him. So they go in and they approach him. How did Uzziah respond? Look at verse 19. Uzziah was wroth. He was angry had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him. And behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out because the Lord had smitten him. Folks, I think it went like this. Uzziah goes marching in there. The priests go in after him, and they try to get around in front of him and say, Stop, stop, Uzziah. And I think Uzziah probably said something like, What do you think? Don't you know who I am? What business do you have to tell me what to do? He had gotten so filled with himself and so intoxicated with his power, he wasn't going to listen to any little old priest. Whoop. Now, wait a minute, King. You understand how small you really are right now? Do you understand that there's an almighty God of heaven that has a law about what you're doing? Uh Uh-huh. I think he probably got red in the face, and he might have clenched his teeth. You've seen it. I've seen it. And he might have said something like, I don't care. I'm going to do this whether you like it. I've done everything else. I'm looking for more great things for me to do. And I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what you priests say. Get out of my way. Oh, boy. Folks, let me tell you something. If you've ever talked that way to authority, you should repent. I tell you that with all humility. I'm telling you that is not the way a Christian should behave. Uzziah should have known better, but he didn't. He became angry. I think probably those priests, when they saw this, they looked, and as soon as they started seeing him, I, I, it says that the leprosy just kind of rose up in his body. And they, I think they all went, oh, no. Oh, no, back up. I, I, I wonder, I wonder. God had an established government for even the king. Yeah, you see, he violated God's order. Yes, he did. The violation of God's government always brings judgment. Unless it's repented of. I don't know. I just wonder. I wonder if King Uzziah would have said something like, Brother Azariah, I'm so sorry. I, that never even occurred to me. I just wanted to offer incense. I made it good. I am so sorry. Will you please ask God? I will bring an oxen in. We will have a sacrifice. I want to repent. I wonder what that story would say. I don't know. Because that's not what happened. His refusal to honor God's law. Brought his destruction. I think that's a serious matter. The gentle tugs of God's reprimand and his spirit sometimes are lost in our self-justification. You can't tell me what to do. Have you ever heard people say that? Uh Uh-huh. We lose the sensitivity that we're needed in our hearts to feel. And to hear God's spirit, someone has said he's impossible to get along with because he thinks he's impossible to get along without. That's right. You become quarrelsome and assertive. I have just as much right to talk as you. Yeah, well, okay. Vying for position. Trying to position yourself and wiggle your way into some place of authority and become contentious. That's what happens with pride. The humble don't act that way. When Uzziah saw himself as important, that's all that mattered to him. Not even God's laws mattered anymore. They didn't bother him. He was going to do what he wanted to do, even if no one agreed. There was no reasoning. No reasoning whatever. Folks, what's the lesson? What's the lesson? I can do what I want to do. I'll have you know. Listen, yes, you can. Yes, you can. God will not violate your will. Typically not. But you're going to have to answer to God someday for the kind of attitude that you're carrying on the inside of you. And that's not contentment on the inside that's coming out. That is, is, is all kinds of foul smell before God. Those who suffer at the hand of your exaggerated importance, will one day watch your plastic kingdom come down. It's true, because the Bible says a man's pride shall bring him low. Respect and honor is earned by starting at the bottom. Pride, on the other hand, wants to start at the top. Now turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. We were there last night. Folks, You remember how this chapter starts? In the year that King Uzziah died. When did Uzziah die? Think about it. I'm not sure I know. I'm not sure what it's referring to. But I wonder... You know, when a man became leprous, they treated him as dead. You couldn't touch him, couldn't anything. Now, yes, if I I, I just, I don't know again, maybe I'm wrong. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of doubt that he ever was healed or had a chance to be healed because this was a miraculous curse against this man for violating, and it was a judgment on his pride. Folks, let me tell you something. Until Uzziah dies, you can't see the glory of the Lord. You can't see the glory of the Lord till Uzziah dies. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw who he was. He was high and lifted up. He was on his throne. His train filled the temple. You go on down there, it gives more direction. You heard it last night, verse 3 the one cried to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Folks, I wonder sometimes when we get ourselves all up in a stew and we start doing things out of belligerence, how God looks on that. I know how I looked at it here in this incident. Verse 5, our response is appropriate when we say, woe is me, for I'm undone. Uzziah, this story could be different, Uzziah, had you listened to your God-ordained authority. But when you reject that authority and insist on taking your own way, judgment lies upon you. You need to understand, woe is me, for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. How often times doesn't it happen that words come out of our mouth in anger because pride is driving it? I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king. I think if our eyes would see the king, we would melt in our own pool of weakness. Pride compasses those with a chain, it says. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 8. It starts out, you remember how it starts out in verse 1, that if you're risen with Christ, you're going to set your affection on things above. Then it says in verse 8, but now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, notice they sound like first cousins to me, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure aroused by being done wrong, or a supposed feeling of being done wrong. Wrath is a strong, stern, and fierce anger, deeply resentful, full of indignation. Malice is a desire to inflict damage. Did you ever hear anybody say at work, the unsaved, I hope nobody that's saved ever talks like this, I'd like to kill him. Oh my. Blasphemy, irreverent utterance or action concerning God. Folks, listen. These are men and women that God has created. And who are you to think that you can talk that way against God's creation? You ought to be careful. Filthy communication. I think there's a progression, folks. You start out with anger and you don't cleanse your heart. And you're not led by the Holy Spirit. It's going to turn to wrath and eventually it'll become malice. And you'd like to do physical harm to somebody. And eventually you're going to speak against God. Finally, the last is going to be vulgar, vile, disgustingly dirty, obscene. Booker T. Washington said, I will not let any man reduce my soul to the level of hatred. They tell us that a grizzly bear can whip any animal in the North American wild except one. The skunk. You know why? Because they've discovered that this grizzly fiercely detests the odor of the skunk. This whole concept of getting even. It's a big deal. The carnal man says, you watch out, buddy. When I get a chance, I'll get you. That's anger. That's pride. And if you don't repent, you will someday stand before God And God will bring that incident up to you, I think. Now, go with me. Go with me back to our text, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I just want you to see this again. Take a look at it. It says that you're bringing a gift to the altar. I don't know which altar it was for sure at this time, but this was an altar that had steps. You bring your gift all the way up to the top of the altar. There's many steps. Could have been a very tall structure. I'm not real sure. But it says in verse 23, I think it's referring to the fact that you're coming to worship. Now listen. Listen to me. When you come to worship and your heart is filled with anger or with wrath or with any other kind of something motivated by anger, The first thing you need to do is repent. God will not honor even you uttering an amen until you cleanse your heart. God's wrath is on the hypocrite. When God's spirit reveals to you your need, you need to go to your brother. That's what it says here. If you have failed, it says that you should go to your brother. That the, you, you, you bring your gift to the altar and there remembers that thy brother hath aught against thee. Another place it says if you have aught against your brother. So it goes both ways. You leave there your gift. You go to the altar. You go your way. You go your way. First it says be reconciled to thy brother. Now it says in Romans twelve eighteen, and I got to hurry. If it be possible as much as life, then you live peaceably with all men. Now, folks, listen. That's not just a scripture for the preachers. You get that, don't you? That's for all of us. That's for all of us. In Hebrews 12 and verse 14, it says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. How do you react when you're accused falsely? Do you react in hatred? Do you react in anger? Maybe you don't say much, but you're boiling on the inside. That book, None of, Your, uh, None of These Diseases, I want to read you something. It says, and this is from page 73 and 74 in the book I had, and I quote, The moment I start hating a man, I become his slave. I can't enjoy my work anymore because he even controls my thoughts. My resentments produce so many stress hormones in my body that I become fatigued after only a few hours of work. And the work I formerly enjoyed is now drudgery. Even vacations don't give me pleasure. It may be a luxurious car that I drive along a lake, fringed with autumnal beauty of maple, oak, and birch. And as far as my experience of pleasure is concerned, I may as well be driving an old station wagon in the mud and the rain. The man I hate hounds me wherever I go. I can't escape his tyrannical grasp on my mind. When the waiter serves me porterhouse steak with fries and asparagus and crisp salad and strawberry shortcake smothered with ice cream, it might as well be stale bread and water. My teeth chew the food and I swallow it, but the man I hate won't permit me to enjoy it. I'm his slave. He might be miles from my bedroom. The more cruel than any slave driver, he whips my thought into such a frenzy that my inner spring mattress becomes a rack of torture. The lowliest of the serfs can sleep, but not I. I really must acknowledge the fact that I'm a slave to every man on whom I pour the vials of my wrath. Is it because humans are dumber than grizzly bears? Folks, reconciliation is a prerequisite to worship. Do we allow the peace of God to be our umpire? Colossians 3, chapter 3, and verse 15. If you would, go back there again. I'm sorry, I'm chasing you around. Verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which ye are called in one body and be thankful. I tell you a personal story, and this is dear to my heart. We had four boys and one girl. The girl was the oldest. The boys were good helpers. We raised hogs. Hogs are hard on panels and all that stuff. And it was revival meeting time, actually. I remember it. And there was some hogs that got together because a panel got broken. And so we quickly drug that thing up to the welder. And I was busy welding. I said, boys, we've got to get this done quick. They're going to kill each other till we get back there. Because there was no way to keep them separate at that point. Had no extra pen to put them in. So I told the boys, now listen, boys. I'm going to hand you these, these welding rods. And as soon as I run out of one, I'm going to put my hand out there. And you put one in my hand. And I'm going to keep going because we got to hurry. I was tense. Now, I didn't ask him anything unreasonable, but guess what? Boys do what boys do, and it was about time, you know, that they got tired of it after a while, and so they delegated their younger brother to take care of the rods, and they went and played. (laughs) Well, Dad had his helmet on. He couldn't see very good anyway, and then Dad held out his hand, and there was no rod there, and Dad became angry, and Dad said, come on, boys. I said, get over here, and as soon as I said it, My spirit was smitten by God. But then on the inside, I said to myself, I was having this discussion all the time. I was welding, and I'm sure welding didn't go so good from then on. Well, they had it coming. I told them to stay here. They knew it. All right. But I couldn't forget it. We went to church that night. We came home. Can't tell you what the preacher preached on. Why? I crawled to bed. Boys all went downstairs. They slept in the basement. We had some beds down there, and they slept in the basement. My conscience was just really condemning me. Dave, Dave, I I couldn't go to sleep. That's not characteristic of me. I decided I got to take care of this. So I went down the steps. I said boys, today when we were welding, fixing that panel, I'm 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 sorry. I was wrong. I I became angry at you boys, and I did not act right. And I said some things I shouldn't have said. I said, Matt, can you forgive me? Matt said, Yes, Dad, I forgive you. said, David, can you forgive me? David was sleeping already. I said, it's okay. I'll talk to him in the morning. I said, Peter, can you forgive me? He said, yes, Dad. Gabriel, can you forgive me? Yes, Dad, I forgive you. He said, thank you, boys. I really am sorry because I was not a good example to you. I snapped the light off and started going up the steps one of the boys said, Dad, I said, yes. He said, Dad, we knew that someday you'd have to ask forgiveness for that. We just didn't know when, and we knew you would do it. And folks, listen to me. I don't think I'm alone in this kind of an incident. But if I'd not taken care of that when the Holy Spirit convicted me to such a condemning thought pattern, I could not get over it. I couldn't go to sleep. What do you think that would have told my sons? I'm not holding myself up as an example. There's probably many more times that I missed that I should have caught. Too often what happens when we offend someone, we've wronged someone. And rather than be reconciled, we act hypocritical. And the next time we see him on the street, although the Holy Spirit has convicted us, we rationalize and we resist the Holy Spirit and we justify ourselves. We think things like, but he asked for it. He deserved it. It wasn't all my fault call of the Holy Spirit might weaken I'm trying to shift the blame to him rather than accept it myself so the next time I meet that person I make up to him rather nice and I act artificially nice I might feel better but I've not been forgiven because I didn't ask to be forgiven I have to humble myself and acknowledge my wrong and I don't do it And when I don't do it I'm in trouble with God Folks, listen, if you've wronged someone, you take the initiative. You make every attempt to reconcile. You make every attempt to correct the wrong. And folks, sometimes you might make every attempt and people refuse to reconcile. There's not much you can do about that. But at least you've made an attempt to clear yourself before God. If there's a debt, you pay that debt. If it needs to be paid and it's your debt to pay, you pay it. If you've injured their character, you make restitution to them. If you've lied about them, you correct that. You ask for forgiveness. If you've cheated on them or done something you shouldn't, you make sure you take care of it. Folks, the only way, the only mechanism God has in the scripture is when we sin, we're told to repent. And that means to confess our wrong, to own our wrong, and make those wrongs right to what extent they've affected other people. Like the prodigal son, you need to be able to say, I have sinned, not if I have sinned. So you go to your brother. I would urge you to think about your words before you get there. And I would tell you, you need to think carefully. You need to think about it in your mind and formulate what sentence am I going to start out with. And I'd suggest you start out something like this. God has convicted me of, and then you say what the sin was. And I'm here to ask forgiveness of you because I was wrong. And then I almost said shut up. Is that allowed in Virginia? Then just be quiet and listen. Give them a, t- a chance to respond. I, I, God has convicted me of, and then name the sin, and then say, and I'm here to ask for forgiveness. Can you forgive me? Now, It doesn't matter whether you want to or feel like it. You see, God expects me to go to the people that I wrong and ask for their forgiveness. In Matthew 5, we already looked at that. Um, Folks, that clock's really bothered me. But I I, I do want to finish a couple things. And this is another story I want to tell you. You've probably heard this before. There was an old Amish bishop that had come to the singing. And there were some boys that were a little ornery. And they they found a big old rock, and they put it in the back of his buggy. It clunk. You know the springs on those buggies? That buggy sat like this. And so they hid in the shadows, here comes the old Amish bishop out, and he was ready to go down the road. And he went down the road, and every time he'd hit a bump, he went clunk, clunk, clunk. And they were just giggling. They thought it was so funny. So they went back to the house where the singing was, and they went back in. One day, one of those boys was called to the ministry. And he couldn't forget that incident. See, there's a reason why you can't forget. So he went back to that bishop and he said, Brother, do you remember a certain night? He said, Yeah, I remember that. He said, I'm here to ask for forgiveness because I'm the one that headed that up. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I wanted to clear my conscience. The bishop said, Absolutely, I forgive you. But let me tell you something, son. I rolled that stone out a long time ago. You've been carrying it for a long time. I taught school for quite a few years. I taught school for a lot of years, and and there was a there was a a young man. He was kind of ordinary, and apparently I had done something unbeknown to me. But anyway, it happened, and I remember at the revival meeting that night, this young man. He was the, the ministers were praying with him, and I was out in the in the congregation. They called me in, they said, Anthony wants to talk to you. "Uh, Why me? Oh, sure, I'll be glad to talk to him. And he could hardly talk. He was so broken about it. He said, Dave, do you ever remember going home from church and there was a a tomcat in your trunk? And I kind of grinned and said, why, yeah, I do. And he was just as broken as could be. He said, I want to ask for forgiveness for that because that was me. I was so angry with you. Oh, I said, Anthony, I forgive you. There was a lot of years that went by there. God's grace is sufficient for us. He expects us to learn from our past failures. You see, my own strength produces only failure. I need to call upon God because of his enabling grace. He can give me the strength that I need. (laughs) Folks, remember, you're responsible for your own sin when you do wrong. Maybe somebody says, but I can't forgive. I was hurt too deeply. Yes, you can. It's a matter of choice. It's a matter of the will. It's an act of the will. Matthew or Mark 11, it's, It says, and and when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any. In Matthew 18, it says, you go to your brother alone. And then if he won't hear you, you take, what does it say, two or three with you? And then if he still refuses to repent, you take it to those that are the church. We're told, we're told if any man have a quarrel against any, you need to forgive even as Christ forgave you. Folks, we have been forgiven. We need to forgive. It's necessary. When we've we, we, when done wrong, when you've been done wrong, maybe by others, you can make a choice. You can become angry and resist and react in pride or you can cry out to God for more grace. I, I need to close. I apologize. It's later than what I realized, but go with me to one more scripture. James chapter four. James chapter four. If you let anger build up, it's going to turn into wrath and then it's going to become malice and it's going to eventually cause you to blaspheme the name of God. Sooner or later, sooner or later, you need to be careful about this and I I need to quit. But in in James chapter 4, it says that he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud. See, the proud can react in anger and those who refuse to repent are actually in pride as well. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. See? It says, he giveth more grace. If you come and you ask for forgiveness, you cry out to God and ask for the grace that God wants to give you, and he he can do that. In Hebrews 12, it talks about a root of bitterness. A root of bitterness needs to be rooted out, otherwise it's going to spring up and others will be defiled. That's what it says. So I would urge us all to think carefully about repentance Whether you've been offended or you are the offender, we're instructed how to behave. And I would urge you that if there are incidents that come to your mind that you are responsible for, go and ask for forgiveness. Take care of it. It's necessary. It's necessary. I would urge you to do that. If God has convicted you, I don't think we're even going to sing a song tonight. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in a little bit. and We're going to pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Maybe there's someone you know you need to go to. Maybe that person's here tonight. Maybe they're not. I just urge you to take the time to go do that. Humble yourself before God. You say, but you don't know how hard that is, preacher. Yes, I do. I've had to do the same thing. I know how hard it is. But God helps those and gives more grace to those who humble themselves. So may God bless you all. If God has spoken to your heart, I want you to listen to Him, not me. Forget what I say, but listen to God. Let's just bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, You know the hearts of all of us. You know where we stand before You. Help us, Lord, to be responsible before You. Help us not be like Uzziah, and become belligerent and, and violate what your order is. Help us, Father, to be the kind of people that we ought to be. Father, tonight, if you have laid something on someone's heart, I just pray, Lord, that they would find the grace and the courage to take care of that. Help us, Father. We need your help. Without you, we confess we are nothing, and we're greatly in need of you tonight. And I want you to have all your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I don't want anybody looking around. And if God has spoken to your heart and you know exactly what it is that you need to do, I want to see a hand of commitment that says, by the grace of God, I will go take care of that as soon as possible. Is there anyone God has spoken to? God bless you. Is there anyone else? Father, you know the incident that is troubling one person. Father, maybe there's others that didn't have the courage to make a commitment. I just pray, Father, you would help us. I pray that you would help this person to do that which is necessary. Father, you know, and we just commit this incident to you and ask for grace, courage, more grace. Father, you are the God of all grace. That's what your word teaches us. Help us, Father, to hear your voice. Be with this congregation, Father. Help them to walk with you. Help them to have a loving attitude to one another. Help them to work together. I pray you'd guide and direct their ways. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us as we serve you. In the name of Jesus, amen.